0: I don't know if you've ever really thought about prayer, but it's, it's kind of an interesting thing, isn't it? It's, it's strange, especially when you're new to Christianity. I remember when I first became a Christian, and just exploring what prayer was. I didn't, I didn't know how to pray. I remember saying, okay, God, I want to be, be in this relationship with you. And then the leader was like, okay, and now you can pray. I was, yeah, I can pray. How, how do I pray? There was just kind of this I didn't know how to pray and I had to explore that and I didn't understand that when the leader up front and when people were praying they were communicating with God. When I was learning about prayer I didn't know that there was this power this this meaning in my life for it and I had to figure that out as I as I explored Christianity. And a little further down the road as now I'm starting to get comfortable in my faith. It's been a few years, and I'm figuring out, figuring out prayer a little bit in my faith, and now I'm exploring how to pray. Now personally, I pray silently to myself, and God hears my thoughts. And maybe that's you, but maybe you prefer to pray out loud, and God hears you audibly. And then maybe you're like me sometimes, and you get a little scatterbrained. And you're like, oh, it's, just, it's late, and I'm trying to pray, but I just can't focus. So you write it down. You journal your prayer. And that's another way to pray. And God can read just as easily as he can hear my thoughts. I think at times we, we tend to take God down a peg. We, we have this extravagant God, and we kind of put him in a box and forget that he can do all these things that we do on a regular basis. Now, if you've been through those phases before, you might have felt this last one too. It's The more you get comfortable with prayer, you can start to feel this feeling of guilt. When someone talks about prayer, when someone brings up prayer, it's just this overwhelming feeling of guilt because maybe you don't think you pray well enough. Maybe you don't think you pray often enough. I know I've been there before and I've, I've felt that before. And it's It's hard to walk through, but the more we are exposed to prayer, the more comfortable we can get with that. So today, we're going to be looking into Luke 11, verses 1 through 4, so if you want to open up to that point, I'm going to go ahead and open us in a word of prayer right now. Heavenly Father, I thank you for today, God. I thank you for this opportunity that you've given me, you've blessed me with. God, but on this Memorial Day weekend, I want to lift up those who have served our country, God. Maybe they're out serving now, God, maybe they've served before, but I want to lift up these people to you and just be with the families of these people, give them strength and hope, God, and allow them to feel your presence this weekend, God. Amen. So I'm going to start just reading through Luke 11, 1 through 4 and taking some just quick initial observations and then we'll kind of dig into things. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. Now, we have the disciples here who have prayed before. They've seen Jesus pray, but they still feel the need to ask, God, teach us how to pray. And I think this is important because if we're struggling with prayer, this is an example for us to know that it's okay to ask the Lord how to pray. So if that's you, maybe the next step for you when you're trying to figure out prayer is just asking the Lord, you know, I'm, I'm not sure how to do this. But God, I know with you, we can figure it out. Verse 2. He said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So my second observation here is that Jesus is not giving us a ritual. What Jesus is providing here is an example of prayer. He's not saying you need to pray this every time you pray. You need to say this every single for every word. Rather, what we're getting is an invitation an invitation to be part of God's family, and even more than that, an active part of God's family. Prayer is something that we get to humbly grow in with God, and it's something that we can always be growing with. So here we have Jesus modeling for us one example of prayer. And as we dig into this prayer, we're looking at exactly what Jesus said in this model. So this first point in Luke 2 I think it's one of the most important points, and it's when Jesus says, when you pray, say, Father. Some of us struggle with prayer because we're focused on the act of prayer. We're, we're trying to, so hard to just focus on what prayer is. And in the same way, when you drive, you don't, you don't focus on the windshield. You're looking through the windshield. You're looking at what's coming up. So when we pray, we need to not focus on prayer or the act of prayer, but we need to be focusing on the father. Right. Now, at this time, God was not commonly referred to as father. In fact, there was 14 different occasions where God is called father prior to this. And this is kind of the idea of God you made everything and you're the father over all. And then Jesus comes along and on 60 different occasions refers to God as father in direct relation father, dad, this, this direct relation. And this actually made quite a few people angry because what they had was Jesus putting himself on the same level as God. And at the time, that was unheard of. Now, we know that Jesus is God, but for the, the people of this time, that was so hard to take because it, it made them on the same level. It was this relational aspect. And here, we get the invitation to be part of this relationship. We get the invitation to refer to God as Father. So last week we, we talked about things that were broken in this world. We, we looked at homelessness. We looked at uh, hunger and disease. And For a minute I want just you to imagine with me this child, an, an orphan, abandoned at a young age. And then one day this father figure enters this orphanage. And, you know, maybe he looks them straight in the eyes. Maybe he gets down on a knee so that they're eye to eye. And he says, today, I'm going to adopt you. You're going to take on my name. You'll take on my things. You have brothers and sisters waiting for you, and they're excited to meet you, and they love you. And I love you, and I'll never abandon, betray, or harm you. I'm always going to pursue you. I'll always love you. And through that, we'll, we'll learn about this thing called grace. And it might not mean anything to you now, but through this unending love that I'll provide, you'll start to understand what that means. Here we have a father who, who means every word of this, first of all, but can follow up and deliver on all of it as well. And... Maybe this child and this father have a tentative relationship at first. It's slow to get moving. It's slow for the relationship to begin. But the more they talk, the more they get comfortable with each other, the easier that relationship comes. The more that child's going to be willing to give matters of his heart or her heart over to this father. And in the same way, prayer is just like that. It's something that maybe is a little uncomfortable at first. It's something that might be a little bit hard to grasp, but the more we pray, the more we're exposed to prayer, the more we get comfortable with it, and the easier it is for us to bring matters of our heart to our Father. Jesus then teaches us that God is holy. Hallowed or holy be your name, Father. God is given many different attributes in the Bible. Loving, caring, kind, honest. But the one Jesus decides to show us here is holy because this makes God distinct. God doesn't have darkness inside of him. God isn't capable of sin. And this is important to us because if God, if God did have darkness or was capable of sin, he could be changing. And if God was changing, it would be hard for us to trust God. But Jesus makes a point here to say, God, you're holy. You're not changing. You're that solid rock in our relationship. And it glorifies God and humbles us to start a prayer by saying, God, you're holy. It it humbles us to acknowledge how good our Father is. Jesus goes on to say then, Your kingdom come. God, may your kingdom come. Here, like it is in heaven. If we live in this world that's broken, and we acknowledged that last week, if we live in this world that is broken, here we're asking, God, may your kingdom come and may it permeate this community. May it permeate our lives so that we may experience you, so that these people who, who have felt these broken things would experience you, God. What we want is your new creation, this new heaven and this new earth to come into these lives to come into the things that are broken. Before I get too carried away with that, I want to move on to verse 3 because they relate very closely. So verse 3 reads, Give us each day our daily bread. Now, what this means for the disciples especially, this was pretty literal. Um, At the time, if they wanted bread, they would have had to make it during the day. It was something that if they wanted, they needed to make every single day. So for them, you know, God, give us our daily bread. Give us the means to make the bread and allow us to have that. But for us today, I think it means that God is generous. God's provided that daily bread and maybe more than that. And we're not just thanking God for what he's given us, but we're acknowledging those who are still hungry and those who are struggling. We acknowledge the families of Westview where we said last week 40%, 40% of students have free or discounted lunches. We're acknowledging those families and those students when we pray this. We ask that, that God's kingdom would come down to these families and that we, and that we may be a part of the spreading in the kingdom of that way. For many of us, God has provided that daily bread and provided more than just enough for the day. So this is where I would say the challenge comes in this week. How are we being stewards, or how are we being responsible with what God has given us? The Holy Spirit here compels us to be part of the answering of this prayer. And maybe for you it means uh, tithing. If you have the means to tithe, and God's calling you to do that and be a part of that, then that's great, and that's so good for you. And maybe it's at Restoration, maybe it's with a different organization, but that's great. Maybe for you, what you have extra of right now, what you can give is time. Maybe that means volunteering at a soup kitchen on a weekly basis. Maybe it means you're here on Sunday mornings helping set up, being part of the worship team. Maybe it means that you get to be part of the community garden on Wednesday nights that we're teaming up with Westview for. And I look even further into the future. I look towards September when restoration gets to be part of this uh, mobile food shelf. And maybe that's how you can give back. If we live in this world that is broken and we, we give back and we start doing these acts, we start volunteering or we start just giving what we can, we start to bring this new creation and new heaven over into a world filled with broken things. May your kingdom come, God. By being responsible with what God has given us, we bring the kingdom here. We can start restoring the broken and bringing the kingdom. What we don't want is to get caught up in material possessions, in what we have. We acknowledge that you've given us these things, God, but we don't want to get caught up in that. We want to live simply, and we want to live generously for you, God. So we want, to, we want to pour back what we can. In verse 4, Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sinned against us. Now, some translations of the Bible here use the word debt. And as I started to think about this idea of debt, I decided I would go to this website, FAFSA, and get an idea of what what next year would look like for me. So I went to this site, and I plugged in these numbers, and I'm going to leave with approximately $25,000 of student loans, approximately. And the combined interest rate on them is about 5.8%. So it mapped out my payments, and I need to make it in 120 payments. I need to make $33,000, and I need to devote 10% of that every year directly to my loans. Over that time, I'm going to accrue 8,000 extra dollars in interest that I have to pay, and it's going to take me 10 years to pay it off this way. And maybe you can relate directly to having student loans. Maybe it's some form of credit card debt, or maybe a mortgage. But You can understand the fear that came into me when I looked this up this last week. How on earth can I pay this back? That was the first thought that came into my head. If I'm going to get all this extra interest, where is that going to come from? So you might be used to seeing those statements come in at the end of the month with what you owe and what you need to pay. Well, what if God sent us those? What if God, at the end of the month, sent us a statement of our sins. Just just a list of everything we had done this past month. I can't even fathom. I start to think of just this last week and some of the things I did, and I just, I regret that. And I feel sorry, and I ask for forgiveness. But to have my entire month on a sheet of paper with some kind of interest statement on it, that scares me. Just the things that you probably didn't even realize happened. You know, you treated a waitress bad. You under-tipped. Just the various things that we might not consider. I just, I couldn't imagine what that entire month would look like. But graciously, Jesus has paid this debt in full for us. And this is why this is a resurrection issue today. Because Jesus gave his life that we may be forgiven of this debt, that this, this debt may be wiped clean from us. But what happens then when we're sinned against or when, when we're indebted to? What do we do with that? I want to address quickly this, this myth of forgive and forget. It's something that I think a lot of us have said and a lot of us use, but it's just not real. It's just not a real saying. If you've been abandoned, abused, cheated on, any number of these things, that's not something that we can forget. And that's okay, because here we get called to forgiveness. In the new kingdom we forgive because Jesus has paid our debt. He's forgiven us. So if you find yourself in this spot and you start to see these emotions that well up inside you when you think of this event, or this person we it's probably time to work through forgiveness again because here we're being called to forgive and if you have to forgive the same person more than once it's okay and God and God allows us to do that and by working through that more than once we become vulnerable with the father we we strengthen that relationship because the more we become vulnerable with the Father, the more that relationship can grow and the more that we can become comfortable in that relationship. So finally, we, we come to the close of the Lord's Prayer and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil, from the evil one. Now here Jesus isn't saying that God puts things that are tempting into our lives that God is putting these things in our lives that would cause us to sin. Rather, what's being said here is that the evil one is active. In this broken world, the evil one is active and trying to get us to fall away from God and trying to get us to fall away from that relationship. If we're, if we're members of the Father's family, then here, the evil one's trying to get us to fall away from that. I think what we're saying when we, when we pray, especially this last line, is, God, we're aware of who you are, and we ask that you would keep us away from sin, and that you would, you would deliver us from the evil one. This is one of the best prayers that we've ever been gifted to see, to be a part of, to receive this invitation into the family of God. God. Jesus provides for us this perfect example of how we can pray and how we can explore. And I don't know where you're at today. Maybe you're, maybe you're just exploring Christianity for the first time and trying to figure out prayer. Or maybe you've, you've been a Christian for a while now and you're just having a rough week, a rough couple of months. You're in a rough patch of life. This is the time for us then if that's you today, this is the time for us to reach up and grab our Father's hand and by faith and trust walk with him away from these things that are broken and into the new kingdom. Let me pray. Father God, we acknowledge who you are today. We acknowledge your power, God, in and I pray for the person who's, who's looking for you today, God. And I pray that they would be bold enough and have the courage to raise up their hand and say, yes, God, this is me today. Take me by the hand and let us walk into the new kingdom, God. Or the person who, who's known you, God, and built this relationship with you, Father. And now they've, they've reached this rough patch in life, God. I pray that you would extend the hand to them. And allow them to see you there, God. Allow them to know that you are walking them out of this place. Father, And we just thank you for this Memorial Day weekend that we get to celebrate. That we get to be a part of our relationship with you, God. Amen.